0: I do talk in the book about children's body wisdom, and it's there from the moment they're born. We all are born with it. It's just that we are taught to do things that go against it when we're young in the book, I talk about this woman, Claire Davis, back in the 1920s. And so I came upon her study. She took kids that came to an orphanage and the study was laying out a whole array of really healthy foods. And the children were just able to pick and choose exactly what they wanted to. And every single child was able to meet their nutritional needs. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Sandra Robertson, like another recent guest of the show, was told by her mentor Lillian Bridges that she had the facial characteristics of a writer and thus should write. And so she did, submitting her first book proposal for her first book to Singing Dragon Press. They liked what they saw and today, treating children with Chinese dietary therapy is a product of Sandra's determination to follow her Ming, her destiny. As Sandra and I take a stroll down memory lane, as we were once classmates, we also discuss the tenets of nutrition. We raise issues such as the alarming normalization and rampant increase of food sensitivities and allergies, the nutritional intuition of children and if it should be trusted, and far too commonly encountered metabolic disorders such as diabetes. Sandra advocates eating locally and seasonally and organically when possible and demonstrates how doing otherwise can lead to nutritional imbalances. She is replete with practical advice on how to make good health more accessible through simple food choices according to principles of Chinese medicine, the bedrock of her new book, and we talk about how that book came to fruition. We also discuss her mentorship in face reading with Lillian Bridges and how this has impacted her practice and life. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for a special discount offer on our newest online course in applied facial reading with Lillian's colleague and guest of this podcast, C.T. Holman. With Sandra's background as a TCM practitioner with certification in phase reading and her love for children and food, her nutritional recipe for a more vibrant life is something we can all benefit from. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Sandra Robertson. Sandra, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: It's great to see you again. It's been quite a number of years, but you and I go, I'm going to say way back, probably 20 years to when we were in school together.
0: About 20. I can't believe it's been that long.
1: Yeah, it's pretty but crazy.
0: Back to the pink school in Victoria, which is yeah. now over here, but
1: uh, Which is yeah, now a climbing gym.
0: <laughs> TCM started. Yeah, it's now a climbing gym. It's great. Have you been there?
1: I have a few times, yeah. But I have a climbing gym closer to where I live that I frequent a lot more. Stellies. Yes. And thanks for reconnecting with me. I appreciate it. You have some very exciting news, which prompted you to reach out to me. And so first off, say congratulations on your new book.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just actually received a copy of it on my doorstep, which is exciting.
1: That's so awesome. And
0: all this time working on it, it just looks like, you know, a digital file for most of its life. And <laughs> without any sort of pre-notice, it just ding-dong at my doorstep. So it's quite exciting to rip open the box and, and see it, it is. and hold it.
1: So the book is Treating Children with Chinese Dietary Therapy, and it's been published by Singing Dragon Press. Quite a feat for you to not only write the book, but also as a first-time writer to get it published by such a renowned publishing house. Way to go. I'm really excited to hear more about the process of creating the book and also about what's inside the book.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about it.
1: Let's jump into the pages of it. So obviously the title says a lot or treating children with Chinese dietary therapy. Can you talk a bit about some of the things that you cover in the book?
0: I cover, well, basically, it's about just making sure that we don't damage children's digestion, because it is so inherently immature. And there's a lot of ways that we eat in the west that can really wreak havoc on children's digestion and we we see that all the time children run around with runny noses and it's just considered a normal thing and you know they have this chronic cough that just won't go away and these are often related to their diet so so really the the main gist of the book is how to how to protect their digestion and Chinese medicine has really wonderful tips and ways to do it that go back thousands of years. So there's, um, there's a yin yang balance of, of the seasons. And so I talk about uh, all the different seasons and how to adjust diets. And this goes for adults too. It's not just for children, but children shift much more quickly. So, you know, if there's an imbalance, it will show up right away. children and we know as adults we can kind of do things wrong with our bodies for a long time before we notice but children they bounce kind of to health and to illness very quickly back and forth and uh, and so I cover that and I cover the microbiome because it's fairly new research the last 20 years has more has come out about the importance of a, a very diverse microbiome and, and how to nourish that. And to me, the microbiome very closely relates to what we call spleen qi in Chinese medicine. So it's, the spleen is the root of digestion. And so we've always said, if you have a strong spleen qi, you have good digestion, you have good appetite, you have essentially good health and good energy. And it very much correlates to the microbiome because if your microbiome is healthy, you have the same thing. You have really good digestion. You have good bowel movements. You have good energy. You have good, clear thinking.
1: And I'm glad you brought up the normalization of symptoms because okay. I I gather that a lot of people don't realize that those symptoms are actually just messages that something is not right within the body and often for runny noses parents just give some sort of nasal spray for coughs they give them some sort of cough syrup or throat lozenges but what is often overlooked is that why why is that happening it's not normal something is causing it and as you said very often it's diet
0: very often, I would say maybe if I would say maybe almost always, if it's not related to just an external pathogenic factor, which of course children pick up that, you know, viruses and bacteria and, and they should have runny noses for maybe a week or two and at the most, but never, never really longer. It should clear up and go away and, and there shouldn't be all that extra mucus. So so, but yeah, in talking to my clients, we'll often talk about their children. And so this is where I've heard, you know, and I'll start to ask questions. Well, what, what, what kind of things does your child eat or what do they like to eat or what do they eat every day? And it, it almost always traces back to something, you know, oh, they eat four mandarins a day or something like that in the dead of winter where, you know, that is very cold and produces a lot of fluid. And where's that, where's that fluid gonna go? in the body, especially in a small child's body. So, so, so I'll have parents say, yeah, just eliminated the, the mandarins and their nose cleared up. So I write about that in the book too. So just different, sometimes just very simple changes to a child's diet can, can really help to boost their, their digestion and get rid of some of these symptoms that are actually symptoms they are not normal. But if you go to a preschool <laughs> or like a gray, you know, an elementary school, and it's just, it's just rampant, you'll just, you'll, you'll see just kids running around like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you talk about elimination type of diets in the book?
0: Uh, I don't, uh, the only thing I do talk about if there's certain conditions to eliminate something or reduce something, if it's eaten in excess for a brief period of time, but my point of view with diet, and I understand there's some people with allergies and real sensitivities. And in that case, you would want to eliminate a food for a certain period of time. But I believe the root issue is a weak spleen chi. And if we can nourish that spleen chi, the, the sensitivity or even maybe potentially a, a, you know um, a reaction to a food would disappear if they if they're able to digest well
1: okay i think that's really important what you just said yeah
0: i think if we start to eliminate too much it really children already can sometimes be very picky eaters and Mm -hmm. so you take you start to take away it's it, it reduces their access to this diversity that we really want them to have and then it actually doesn't help their microbiomes and, um, you know, reduces their access to nutrients.
1: Mm-hmm. And when I brought up elimination, I was more thinking along the lines of eliminating short term to figure out if symptoms clear up, to figure yeah. out what the potential <laughs> culprit may be. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to underline that you just said is that by nourishing our spleen chi, which you equate to our microbiome, some of our food sensitivities or even food allergies
0: I think might so.
1: clear up and yeah. it is something that you can't go into a school classroom today and not find dozens and dozens of foods that are now banned from being in that classroom because various people have allergies to them and that's just not normal that again goes back to that normalization of symptoms why are they having such severe reactions to certain foods that have been consumed potentially for thousands of years without problem.
0: Right. Yes. And it just, I went through my whole education, elementary school, high school, not ever encountering a single person with an allergy. Whereas my daughter since preschool has, like you said, there is at least two or three children in her class with severe allergies And we, yeah, we cannot pack those food items in her lunch, which of course we honor that and we won't pack them. And it's a very scary thing as a parent to have a child with a food allergy. But yeah, the question is why? And I know there's a lot of research being done around this, but I think TCM has a lot to offer with the way that we look at the body. And so this is another reason why I wanted to just, I wanted to write this book is to just to help to spread that message to more parents. And, and if, if it even just helps a handful of children to avoid becoming allergic to a certain food or to just avoid having stomach aches their whole childhood or ear, chronic earaches, then, then that's all I really would like for this book to offer.
1: Yeah. And as you said, we, we are in an interesting place because it's not always an internal issue. We do know a lot of our foods are grown with chemicals that can cause problems such as peanuts that are grown in between rows of cotton, one of yep. the most heavily sprayed plants on the planet. And so, of course, the peanuts, the ground nuts, are going to be absorbing those pesticides. And then yeah. those pesticides may be causing a lot of these inflammatory reactions, likely are. Likely. But yes. as you as you indicated, there still is a lot that can be explored through nourishing the body and the digestive system and the microbiome mm-hmm. to see if perhaps the cause of some of these food sensitivities is actually internal.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And most of the time when when you know when we do see children with food allergies, they're, they're usually we we could diagnose a spleen chi deficiency in those children. It, it so, just would be evident in, in a lot of their symptomology.
1: Can you you equated the spleen chi deficiency to the microbiome, but for someone who's not studying Chinese medicine or even potentially nutrition, is there any other elaboration you can do as as far as what spleen qi is and what a spleen chi deficiency might be or look like?
0: Mm-hmm. And it's nothing to do with our actual organ, the spleen. It's in in traditional Chinese medicine, we we look at all the organs as having an energetic function in the body. And so even though the spleen in Western medicine doesn't have a huge role to play, you could take the spleen out and still live and function, but the energetics of the spleen in traditional Chinese medicine is that it is it functions as the transportation and the breakdown of food. And so if that energy in the body is weaker, then food will not be broken down as well. And so then, and because if it's not broken down, then our body cannot absorb the nutrients and it cannot get transported to other organs. And so there is kind of an overall deficiency of energy tiredness. So a lot of the symptoms that we would connect with spleen chi deficiency would be fatigue it might be trouble sleeping even because we if we're not getting the nutrients we're not producing enough blood and the you know having the blood is also roots our our shen and helps us sleep there's uh, symptoms we would see like loose stools and bloating and indigestion and uh, so Hopefully that answers a spleen Chi. Is there anything
1: you yeah, want so, add to that? <laughs> well, what I'm hearing and my understanding is that as an energetic entity that helps to govern and control our digestion, when that is not functioning with optimal energy, we often see, as you said, symptoms of loose stools and fatigue, which means the food is just passing right through the system, mm-hmm. relatively undigested. And so the person is not as not absorbing not and assimilating the nutrients. Yes. And as you equate to the microbiome, if the microbiome is not healthy, then that bacteria is not there to break down the food so that we can absorb the nutrients. So exactly. no matter what someone eats, how healthy it is, it doesn't matter if they don't have the spleen chi or the microbiome to digest it and absorb it.
0: Exactly. They could be exercising a lot and they could be eating really healthy food. And you would hope that if they are eating, I mean, healthy food in their mind. And so this is another part of TCM that we, we look at is that raw food is actually really hard to digest, especially for children. And so we, of course we think, well, raw food, it's so healthy. It's got all the vitamins and and everything that you need. And there are certain times of the year where we can up our intake of raw food but overall depending on where you live and we live in a very cold damp climate here in Victoria, BC, uh, there's there's not a lot of seasons where we should be eating tons of raw food and it just makes our digestive systems have to work that much harder to break it down and, and there have been some studies now, uh, Western studies that do show that we actually do absorb vitamins and minerals more from food that has been lightly steamed or broken down. So even though there are, is more vitamins in the raw food, we're just not able to absorb them all anyways.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, so so that's another connection to the spleen cheese. There's certain things that Chinese medicine over the last few thousands of years have correlated with our digestion. And, and so there are certain rules and things that have been observed of ways to really optimize and help this, clean mm-hmm. qi, which is basically, and I and maybe the all the whole time they were talking about the microbiome, but of course right. they couldn't see it. <laughs> well,
1: and you've also just highlighted the importance of eating. I'm gonna say locally eating based on the region where you live, because of course, if someone is living in the tropics and has a year-round supply of fresh fruits. And greens, eating raw, where it's hot outside, where their digestion can function a lot more easily without needing to warm up quite the same. It's very different than where we live in a colder, damp climate.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I, I tell my clients too, who might even have trouble losing weight and they're eating a lot of tropical fruits it's really actually harming their metabolism (laughs) it's it's all this extra fluid that their bodies can't eliminate and then it just slows down the system and clogs it up and it's when you really think about it yes if you're living in a tropical climate and you're sweating all day and you're hot of course you need to replenish those fluids but I can go days without sweating (laughs) here in Victoria (laughs) never breaking a sweat but you you get off a plane in a tropical place and it's like you already need to replenish those fluids so so that's what tropical fruit is meant for us so Mm -hmm. it's just shifting and yes local food i'm just so passionate about local food i think that we really there's just we need to support our local farmers as much as possible they work hard (laughs) and And we want to keep that the local food wheel turning and be able to to have that and not just rely on foods from Washington or California, which is south for us, but quite a distance. Mm-hmm. Which is where we do get a lot of our produce from shipped up in trucks.
1: And there really is, as you're indicating, no, one diet that's going to work for everyone and nutrition of course is highly contentious with experts writing the books that we learn from who are purporting two completely opposite things and a lot of it has to do with geography and ancestry and then even when they have agreed on certain foods, it's then, well, how do you prepare those foods? Do you have them raw or steamed or baked? Or... So so many variables. And really a lot of what it comes down to is listening to your body, listening to those symptoms, going back to what you talked about early on, not ignoring the runny nose or yeah. the frequent cough or the indigestion or diarrhea or fatigue. Those are all indications that something Mm -hmm. is needing changed
0: yeah and people will will just live their lives with these symptoms and because it's normal for them they just deal with it and they're they don't really have to there there is there is there are ways to to help with that but it is hard because you're right there's a lot of conflicting information out there so many different diets and they're all such good marketing gimmicks and they have a lot of money to be made and and there is a lot of research thrown and and maybe it does like you said it works for certain geographical regions but th- that's what i love about tcm and traditional chinese medicine dietary therapy is because it can work for really anybody and all you're focused on really with, with dietary therapy, mainly the main thing is protecting your digestion. And I love that. And then from there, you can use food as therapy for different conditions. And so when something does show up or something does go awry, there are specific foods, which is something I love to read about is just the healing qualities of, you know, you can, you can eat cardamom you're vomiting (laughs) or your child's vomiting and you don't really know what to do but cardamom is very soothing for vomit and it's been used traditionally in Chinese medicine for a long time it's in a lot of the ancient texts and it's a simple we often most of us do have cardamom in our cupboards in some way or form so you just brew it up and you make a tea out of it or just grind it up and um, put it into a dish and and there you go It's, it's just very soothing and it's amazing that all these foods have such wonderful healing properties in their natural form, not processed, that we can utilize. And I know you, on your farm, I'm sure you've got you've got hundreds of different medicinals in your backyard.
1: Yeah, we're very fortunate to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's our medicine cabinet. We turn to that yeah. first and foremost before anything else. And that's not only for us and our kids, but also for our animals. We're always looking at what solutions are growing up from the ground that can help with any sort of ailments.
0: So do you just then put it into your animal's food? You just chop it up or, or, oh, you mean your sheep and your goats and goats
1: and chickens and dogs. And it depends, it depends on what they may be needing, but yeah, often it's even for our goats, sometimes we'll have to supplement their minerals because they may not be getting everything they need from the land here. And that's something that we just keep an eye out for the symptoms that indicate, well, there's a little bit of a mineral deficiency here. There's a copper deficiency, which we can see from maybe a thinning of the hair on the goat's snout or nose. And so by looking at those telltale signs, then we can modify their diet.
0: Wow, that's really cool. I was
1: interviewing, I'm trying to, oh, I think it was Peter Conway, who's one of our instructors, herbal instructors at the college who used to, have goats and he would learn from the goats by taking, when they were ill, he would take them into the garden and see what they chose to eat. I love it. And then. They
0: do- no, they're so in tune.
1: Yeah. And I think that was Peter. If it wasn't Peter, I apologize to whoever that was that, that told that story, but really interesting. So yeah, a lot of it just comes to back to following our intuition, listening to our animals intuition when they seem to be going for certain foods and going back to the basics and really Chinese medicine does that so well because it is a holistic approach to health. And one thing I wanted to bring up for parents who aren't quite sure how to tell if their child maybe has spleen cheat deficiency is we have a very clear indicator by looking at the tongue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to talk about that for a moment.
0: Yeah, well, the on the tongue would, if you see uh, teeth marks, when they stick out their tongue, scalloped edges along the tongue would be a sign and their tongue would often, often, not always, but be pale. Yeah. With a spleen sheet deficiency. So a normal tongue should have a thin white coat, not very thick, and uh, it should just be a nice light pink color, not too red, not too pale. And the edges should be shouldn't be scalloped and it shouldn't mm-hmm. be too large
1: yeah and it's such an easy way to do it and I will often use that with well anyone close to me if they're having some sort of something, I'll say stick out your tongue <laughs> and often I'll be like, okay yeah your spleen cheese definitely fatigued you know, and you funny. can tell it's, uh,
0: it's I don't even think I wrote that in my book <laughs> 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 of all the things. Because I well I wrote it geared towards practitioners. Okay. So I just assume that practitioners would know what it what the tongue. Was yeah,
1: of course, of course. And so
0: initially, I did my idea for the book was that I wanted it to be for the lay person and I would just write it, and my my clients could could buy it, so they would have a, a handbook for their or reference book for their for their own children, and and just to spread the word. But Singing Dragon did really want me to focus towards practitioners. And I think that was a really wise move because we're the ones treating the children as practitioners. So we would want to know the information first, but I did try to write it so that uh, someone with no background in in traditional Chinese medicine could still gain a lot from the book. Mm -hmm. And they can, but I didn't have the tongue part. So, (laughs) (laughs) so this is my, there's a lot I want for my second edition that There you go. Finish the book, and it's a couple months later, and then you think about all the things that you didn't write in the book.
1: (laughs) And it's to me, it's astounding what we as Chinese medicine practitioners learn that is so simple. That why isn't it taught outside of Chinese medicine? Like why are we not actually somewhat educated in looking at the tongue? Because a three-second snapshot, if you have a bit of an understanding can tell so much. And if someone sees that pale, flabby tongue in their children or their child, maybe cut out raw foods for a while.
0: That's the thing. They would know to do that. They, they would know to do that. Them. And so turn like-
1: towards the more nourishing, warming foods.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And easy to digest.
1: And instead we turn to the pharmaceutical cabinet to
0: often, yes.
1: try to figure yeah. things out.
0: Yes, I've trained my daughter to, and so we also, you can glean a lot of information from the bowel movements in, in TCM. And so I really trained her as to what a, a good poo is like. Yeah. And even last night she called, she said, Mom, there's my poo's not good.
1: <laughs> so it's so it was important. Very loose. It
0: was very loose, it was undigested. But I said, You know, honey, you, she was at a friend's house, they were having the freezes, the DBs, the healthier version. But it yeah. was still cold, it's still fruit. And so I just, I just, I want her to really be connected to what she's eating, what it does in her body. And it's, it's okay to have treats, but then you know what it might do. And she, yeah, it's, it's great for her to have that connection.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up stool's poo because it is so important and it's like taboo yeah. in our culture, but it's something that we are engaged with hopefully every day.
0: Yeah, you would hope at least once every day. <laughs> and it
1: does tell a lot about health. So that's so great that you're teaching your daughter about it. Is that something that you cover in the book?
0: Do I cover stools? I don't think so. I didn't, actually, yes, I do cover stools because I talk about different common childhood ailments and the symptoms to look for. Yeah, and so okay. If your child has loose stools, there are different types of loose stools. We differentiate differentiate in Chinese medicine as to deficiency excess and you know, that kind of thing. So it, it, by looking at the stool, you can great slide on that. So yeah, and I wanted to go back to, you were talking about the intuition of the goats. And so I do also talk in the book about the wisdom of a children's. The children's body wisdom and it's there from the moment they're born we all are born with it Mm -hmm. it's just that we are taught to do things that go against it when we're young often because as a parent you want you think your children need to eat a certain amount of food or you want them to have a certain amount of vegetables with at their dinner and so there's and it's I do it too. I'm guilty of it. And I try really hard to step back and and not say anything or not, you know, just put the plate of food down and let my daughter be in touch with what she needs to eat and just let her, her body tell her when she's full and it's okay. It's when you're full, you're full. When you're hungry, you're hungry. (laughs) When and, and so in the book, I talk about this woman, Claire Davis back in the 1920s. And so I came upon her study. I don't know if you've heard of it, but she she uh, just took kids that came to an orphanage they were young six months uh, to two years old and a lot of them were malnourished they were obviously coming from not so good homes and she basically the study was laying out a whole array of really healthy foods and whole grains and Dairy product and meat product and and the children were just able to pick and choose exactly what they wanted to and what they how much they ate was measured and the nurses were there and they would help them be fed if they needed to but basically the children would point at what they wanted. And all of them, every single child was able to meet their nutritional needs. Even some of the children who had rickets they would drink cod liver oil because it was there. It was like their bodies knew they needed the vitamin D and, and when they were done, the rickets were cleared. They didn't drink it anymore. It's, it's just, and so they have this wisdom. They just know. And so at some point we lose it. Yeah. Of us, hopefully not all of us, (laughs) uh, it's, it's, so that's another important thing is to just have a really positive intention around meals and, um, not create any, Disharmony with and uh, power struggles around food.
1: Yeah. Well, that's such a cool concept and study to bring up. And I think a caveat to it is, as we, as, as, you said, we need to provide our children yes. with very healthy options. Yeah. yeah. If our cupboards and pantry are full of processed foods with lots of sugars and trans fats and whatever there is, then they're not going to have the right things to turn to intuitively. And I think what you're kind of heading towards is as we do get older and we are more exposed to those types of foods, we lose our compass. We lose that inner intuition because we possibly have so degraded our microbiome that we no longer have that gut intuition telling us what we do need to eat because it's just all a mess in there.
0: Yes, yeah, and then also just uh, if, if we were told to eat beyond our level of fullness, so we think that that's a normal thing. We think we should feel stuffed after a meal. Yeah. Whereas TCM has a 70% rule, even until you're 70% full, so that there's room for the digestion to occur and it's not working over time. So, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's so many different ways we, we lose that but also in her study she she had wanted to actually incorporate processed foods and sugary foods but the war but due to the war she wasn't able to continue her studies and then afterwards it was just ethically not okay to to do these studies yeah so she but she would have done a study incorporating junk food to see if there still would have been the same outcome would they still have chosen healthy foods or
1: healthy junk food (laughs) yeah
0: healthy junk food yeah. or
1: avoided it yeah absolutely and every child is different every body is different every need is different my daughter from the very beginning has always said she's a vegetarian wow and my son is a carnivore if we let him be and so that's just something we've had to uh, embrace and certainly not try to push one thing over the other because clearly he has different nutritional needs than she does.
0: Exactly, and 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 that's true. Some people don't need meat, and some people do. I know I do. I have tried a few different times to go 100% vegetarian, and I don't do well with it at all. And and so I, I balance out my need for meat products with with just buying locally found and free range, ethically treated animals. So I, I feel good about that because I, I do believe that some people do need meat and some people like your daughter just don't. Yeah. And that's amazing that she would know that from a young age and and that you would allow her to To honor that, a lot of parents wouldn't. They would just say, This is what we're eating and you eat this. So it's it's great when parents can be mindful of what their children require.
1: Eating locally, educating our kids about real food, real nutrition, it's so important.
0: It's so important. And I and I do talk about that too. And even if you don't, if you live in a condo or a place where you can't, you can always grow a little bit on your deck. But there are, there's always a local farm. Near a city that that you can get to and bring the kids to and 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 still teach them that connection to the land and to where things actually come from and it's I was lucky also I got I was lucky enough to grow up on a farm as a child it was a dairy farm but but I but we had a vegetable garden and eat and and just but just the to be able to roam the lands (laughs) kind of barefoot and free. It's such a lovely feeling, but you you can, you can bring that to children anywhere and, and your farm allows children (laughs) to come and run free. And so, so it's just, it's just researching it and finding it.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about some of the recipes that you've included in this book, because you're not only giving guidance but you're also mapping out some actual food plans for people
0: a little bit so the the recipes are really simple and i i included them mainly just to have some ideas of that you can have pancakes and they, that can be okay it's it's not it doesn't have to be unhealthy or you don't have to buy a cheap pancake mix you can make it at home and And so, yes, and I know parents are busy. We don't have a lot of extra time to cook often. It's on the go. And and so I just wanted to make really simple recipes that seasonally adjusted that you could just flip to and, and make. And then often, if you just have an easy muffin recipe that you bake, you can have regular snacks for your children in that sense and just change it seasonally depending on, you know, right now it's rhubarb. It's season here. So rhubarb muffins or in the fall, squash muffins and, and just changing it as the seasons go. And it's makes life actually really easy because you just decide what you're eating based on what's growing. They're simple. And and then I just break down the TCM dietary benefits for, for the child, which foods will help with, with their spleen chi and and then which ones for the different seasons. We, we talk about the liver in TCM a lot and uh, the energetics of the liver. And it's about moving liver, low liver energy should always be moving, not be stagnant. And so there are certain foods that help to move that. And, and so I just break down what the what the tcm food concepts are in each recipe
1: and do you also have case studies in the book
0: no i don't i i actually don't treat a lot of children in my practice you would think i did because i wrote the book but i i do have a real passion for food therapy and I have been around children for a very long time. I have two stepsons that are now 19 and 17, and so I've been feeding them since they were little, little boys, and my daughter, of course. And then I worked in the school system for a little while, and and then when my daughter went to preschool, they actually asked me if I would work there while she went there. I think I just have a natural affinity for kids, so. So I've been around a lot of children and what they're eating. I see their lunches. I see their snacks. And and that's what really prompted me to write this book. But I, I, I don't have enough under my belt to do case studies. So that might be my next book. Yeah. As I open up my practice to more children. Now that I have a good 11 years practice, I am ready to start treating more children.
1: Well, I'm sure this book will help to bring that into your door as well. Let's talk about the process of writing this book and maybe back it up before that where came the inspiration
0: the inspiration came initially i had started thinking about doing a presentation about tcm dietary therapy to the preschool that my daughter went to she went to a co-op preschool and part of the membership of the preschool was that each month we would listen to different parental experts and they would come and talk about different topics. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if I talked about about TCM dietary therapy and, and just bring this to the parents. And I never actually did do a presentation at the time but that's where the idea started of just bringing this knowledge that I knew and I could see that many of the children that went to the preschool had all these different issues that could have probably easily been changed by their diets maybe and so that's that was the original start to and I've always loved nutrition so even way back when I was a teenager I was juicing at home my parents had no idea where this was all coming from because it was it was opposite of how you know things that they were doing but I would just get these books and I would learn about juicing and so it's always been in a passion of mine and and then i went and started to work with Lillian Bridges she's
1: savvy. Oh Lillian
0: <laughs> i love Lillian
1: <laughs> who doesn't so the last
0: few years i've been taking face reading courses with her and and i and i love it it's absolutely wonderful it's it was studying with Lillian was like taking chinese medicine all over again you know, that initial, when you start learning about the body and and the organs and, and you have this whole worldview paradigm shift and about health and nutrition and just lifestyle and how the body works. I I felt the same thing with studying with Lillian. It was, it was just such a different way of looking at TCM and looking at health and that we're all so different, you know, and it's, it's, it's written on our faces and it's fascinating. So that's an aside, but I, she, she was the initial inspiration because I guess on my face at the time, I didn't know I had a face reading with her that I have a writer. I have all the signs of a writer on my face (laughs) and I wasn't writing at the time. I haven't, I hadn't had much reason to write before. It just, life was busy with kids and with the practice. And I didn't really nourish that part of my soul. Or my Ming, my destiny. Ming means destiny in, yep. in the Chinese. And she just convinced me I could do it. And she could tell that dietary therapy was just filled my shen, filled my spirit. And uh so we so I just started writing it. <laughs> I wrote my book proposal to singing dragon and and they accepted it. And I was shocked. I just wrote wow. my first. My introduction and, and it was, it was, it was kind of like, okay, now I have to do this. Now I have <laughs> to write this. Now I have a contract. So yeah, it's interesting how things just start out as just little niggles where you think, Oh, I, I wish I could do this, or I wish yeah. I could bring this out into the world or I wish I could. And then I think if we just, it grows, it, it will never just stay small and uh, Life will just make you do it.
1: (laughs) Well, Lillian's like a wizard in making books come from people, it seems. And recently I published an episode with one of her colleagues, Deirdre Courtney, who also was deeply inspired by Lillian to write. So,
0: yes. And I heard a a gift for that interview with you. And I, and I, and you have the signs of a writer too.
1: Apparently so. Yes.
0: So I'm going to, I'm waiting for your book to yeah,
1: come out. Well, yeah. I'm, <laughs> i have always enjoyed writing, so I certainly wasn't surprised to hear that at all.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that I somehow had cut that portion of me out for you know, and I have something I've always been good at. And I've expressed myself much more easily through the written word than I do speaking. And then I do in any other way, if I can, if I can sit down and write something, it'll come out how I want it to sound. Whereas sometimes when I'm speaking, it's it's like, oh, I didn't really, I didn't want it to sound like that.
1: <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> so,
0: so there is something there that is just an innate ability to utilize the written word. And, and it's, it's amazing how the signs now I know what the signs are after studying with her. I know what to look for, but at first I just almost didn't believe her. I just was shocked. How, how do you think I could write? And she just kept saying, you can do it. I know you can do it. (laughs) Very supportive. (laughs) She's been so supportive through this whole process.
1: I don't think one should ever doubt her knowledge and intuition. No.
0: <laughs> she knows what she's talking about. Yeah.
1: So take us through the process. You sent in the proposal to mm-hmm. Singing Dragon, your first proposal, first publishing house. They came back with yeah. an acceptance. That's incredible.
0: That's incredible. I know. I, sometimes I hear people's stories about how they've moved forward in their lives. And I was actually just listening to your podcast with Jill from Fatso, yes. and a lot of it, and and I, she's obviously worked really, really hard, but I kept hearing her say, and then it was luck. It was just luck. And I've heard this even with Bill Gates or, you know, like, it's like, there's a certain aspect of luck and who knows if it's luck or destiny or whatever it is, or it's, I think if you're on your proper, if you're on your right path, the doors will open for you. And that's what I feel happened in this case too. It just, I was meant to do this and it, it just happened at, a, at the right time. So yeah. so yeah, so I, I had the proposal, the contract and I had a year to write it. And I kind of just made everything up along as I went <laughs> because I didn't have any idea about the process or how many pages they, they'd asked how many pages and I had to look all of this up. <laughs> how are, or how many words sorry they asked for how many words and it's like okay i have no idea but let's just i'll just throw out a number and the funny thing is is i was very close to the number that i had originally suggested and that's just <laughs> where my book was so right somehow that worked out and and i did a lot of initially just reading about the creativity process how to allow the flow to come through me and because sometimes you just sit and you don't know what to write about. <laughs> there are many days where I just didn't know what to write about. Well, I knew my, well, I knew what I wanted to write about, but it, the the words just weren't coming. So, uh, yeah, I just read different books, people suggested techniques, and I think you just have to find what works for you. Everyone's so different. And, At one point I had to even switch the office around. I had to switch rooms. I just felt like where I was writing was too much. I'd been stuck in that room for all my days off. So I was writing in between the clinic. So I still, have a full practice and obviously my family. And and, uh, so I had to fit writing in where it worked and I would often do early morning. So I would just get up 5.30 or six. And just write for at least an hour, an hour and a half in the mornings. And I found that was my best writing time, just when I was clear and nobody else was awake.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned the destiny, the Ming, and I think probably more so than luck, you were just manifesting your destiny. You really put it out there, you took a chance. Most people don't even take the chance to send in that introductory letter to or the proposal to a publishing house and that's true you did that and that wouldn't have happened you could have been the luckiest person in the world and you wouldn't got that accepted if you didn't actually send it
0: and i still had to sit down and do the work Mm -hmm. (laughs) all along the way so it, yeah it's it's now that it's over it's kind of this is where it's very much connected to labor because or having birthing a child birthing a book it's the it's not easy when you're in it, you know, all the hours of labor, but somehow women down the road after labor, their lovely babies in their arms and they forget what it was like, or it wasn't that bad. Yeah. If they just think, oh, it yeah. wasn't that bad. <laughs> when I was in it, I was thinking, oh gosh, this is so much work and <laughs> really hard and it's stressful and the deadlines and trying to meet the 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 timelines and then even after the book the manuscript is in you then get it back and obviously someone's gone through and picked away at it and you now need to answer and you have a time you have short timelines with 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 publishers so they give you back your manuscript someone's gone through there's 70 questions and you have a week and a half or two weeks to return it back to them (laughs) with a full schedule that you you don't really know when these things are actually going to come back to you so So, yeah, so that was, that was challenging. Just trying to meet those deadlines and, uh, fitting that into my already busy schedule,
1: yeah. And you did it.
0: I did it. So yeah, it's exciting and it's, it's, it's along the way too. I had many times where I had the imposter syndrome, which I don't know if you've heard of the imposter syndrome and that if you do feel it, it does mean you're on your path your golden path as Lillian would say and and just to trust that that's where you're supposed to be but I often felt that and I had to there were many times where I wanted to just throw in the towel and just give up and just not do it because it would have been easier not to do it and putting yourself out there is not easy and especially when there's so many amazing people in the, in the TCM community who've wrote, you know, written wonderful books and have so much experience and so much deep knowledge. And, you know, like you were saying with Lonnie Jarrett and your interviews with him and just other. And so I kept saying to myself, who am I to write this book? <laughs> who am I to write this? But who, I don't know. I still don't know who am I to write this book, but maybe <laughs> there'll be a reason down the road. And I, I do, really want to bring this out to the mainstream. And so that's what I my hope with this is, is that the main that we can in our Western world understand what has been known in the Asian um, countries for a long time, there's, there's just a very much a connection to what you eat and how you feel in that part of the world in contrast to here. And even in Europe, I found in Europe, there was a lot more connection to using food as medicine. Whereas I don't really see that here yet. I see it in a large number of people and it's growing and it's becoming more, more mainstream, but I would love to see it just be how we speak about food and our bodies and, and just really, look at processed food as complete junk <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: and just throw it away. Yeah. And
1: I want to highlight too that it's it's not just about eating and using food medicine to change how we feel, but in the sense of oh I have a I eat this and I get a stomach ache or I eat that and I get cramps or I eat that and I get fatigued, but we're also seeing an epidemic of behavioral issues especially in children and mm-hmm. the rates of these behavioral conditions are skyrocketing and most yes. elementary school classroom now has three or four different aides or, or teaching assistants who are there for children who have behavioral difficulties or behavioral challenges and i think so much of that if not the majority of it can be linked back to food and the choices that we make with our food.
0: I believe that. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. I, so speaking of schools and food, one of my dreams is to create a national school lunch program because most countries have one. Canada doesn't have one. And, even countries like Brazil, they have a national food lunch program. So children get a nice hot lunch every day. And it's 30% of it has to be sourced locally of the food that they, they use to cook. And so even children who might not get a healthy meal anywhere else, at least they're getting the one really good, healthy microbiome you know feeding meal yeah. uh, in their day. Yeah and it's cooked, but it's really hard. Even I find it really hard to pack a really good lunch that, you know, that my daughter can eat. That's not a cooked meal that they don't have anywhere to heat it up in her classroom yet in elementary school. So, you know, cold rice doesn't taste very good or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's certain things that just don't taste cold. So, so yeah, I think down the road, if I could be a part of bringing that to schools in Canada. That would be amazing. I know that's a big, a big job, but there's already, there's Food Secure Canada, which is working on that. It's an organization.
1: Oh, I think it's a great goal to have. And it's so important. And now I see, especially in older kids, like high school kids, when lunchtime comes, they're just off to the nearest fast food restaurant. Like this is, yeah, I know. it's not promoting health in any way whatsoever. And of course, the foundation that we've laid in their elementary and middle school years has pretty much led them into that to think that, okay, it's, it's okay to eat fast food every day. It's okay to neglect my nutrition. And I look back at my own school days, whatever food was prepared in the cafeteria certainly wasn't what I would consider today to be healthy, but I also was very unequipped to make personal choices. I was not empowered to use my intuition. And if anything, there were situations where I was forced to eat things that I absolutely did not want to, that I detested, that my body had a physical violent reaction to. And yet that was the (laughs) elementary system that I was brought up in. And by the time I got to high school, and as an athlete, I was starving my body of healthy nutrition and it, it's something that it took me many years after to realize that wow like I would think I was eating proper meals before a track meet but really I was eating breadsticks and tomato sauce and that just wasn't yeah. enough to not that wasn't even enough to fuel my brain during the school day let alone to last me until eight o'clock at mm. night at a no, track you meet
0: need, you need the good healthy fat
1: and we're not educating. Yeah, and and yeah. then we look at the, even once people get into the university system and doctors going through their education, medical doctors are not educated about nutrition. And so it's just such no. an important foundation as Hippocrates has said, let food be thy medicine. And it's something that we continue as a society at large to ignore.
0: Yeah. He also said all disease begins in the gut.
1: Sorry. That's my rant.
0: No, I love it. I am 100% behind you. And yeah, all we we I'm actually reading a really good book right now. It's written by Robert Listic. Don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name quite right, but he was a pediatric endocrinologist for over 40 years in the US, and he's really passionate about children's health and sugar and all the basically the fact that Sugar will create a fatty liver. And so even if an obesity is just a symptom, it's not the fact that you're obese and you're unhealthy. It's it's just a symptom of metabolic disease. And that even if you're skinny, then you can still be fat on the inside with all the organs coated in fat, and especially the liver, and how that slows your metabolism and creates insulin resistance. And that's a whole different (laughs) topic, but the basic premise of the whole book is a large book and he goes into really deep details about how the body functions and it's called Metabolical. So a, a play on metabolic and diabolic, Metabolical and he breaks it down to the fact that processed food and sugar is the beginning of all chronic disease. And he was only able to write this book after he retired because he's a doctor in the US. And if he had written about this, with his license, he may have been thrown off the board or laughed at or because it to me, it just seems so insane that we're so far removed from considering diet to be a cause of these chronic diseases. Still, to me, it just seems so obvious the link, but we have a ways to go with educating people and, and medical practitioners about this. And I was just talking to somebody who runs a after school care program. And one of her, her students has diabetes young, 11 years old and her, they have to write down what her is in her lunch every day because she's taking insulin throughout the day and her parents need to know. And she asked them, does she need to eat a certain thing? Does she not need to have sugar? And her parents said, no, 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 it's totally fine. She has insulin. Mm-hmm. So you, she can eat whatever she wants. And, and that's what he talks about in this book. It's that even di- the diabetes associations have said that as long as you take diet as insulin, you can eat whatever you want, which is so untrue. And we know <laughs> it's that. It's incredible,
1: isn't it? <laughs> so it's a really
0: fascinating book. I'm still getting through it, but I, I highly recommend it. If you're interested in, you know, the processed food world. And and I think there's, there's obviously a lot of conspiracy around big pharma and the money they have to make off us when we're sick. So it it does make sense that we're being marketed a lot of false information. But if you become in tune with your body and you start to eat differently, and I was the same way as you, I did not eat well, really growing up and, you know, well in the way that we know now, I thought I was eating somewhat well. And yes, I was juicing, I was juicing, but then I would eat tater tots and, muffins made out of sugar and flour and oil <laughs> you know just just not nourishing my body i would eat bowls of cereal for dinner with a bunch of milk in it and that was my dinner oh,
1: lucky <laughs> charms frosted flakes yeah.
0: <laughs> and then
1: drinking the colored milk afterwards
0: oh and the tang and the kool-aid and
1: my diet was so atrocious and i didn't even realize it because i didn't even realize food choices had an impact on health. And no. I would say my parents didn't realize it, so it's not that they were uh, they were <laughs> neglecting me. It's just we didn't no. know. Didn't and, know. Yes. And I had such sugar spikes during my every day, every hour of existence that I would fall asleep in class. I when I started to when I became a teenager and started to drive, I had a job at a restaurant. There was a 20 minute drive and there were days I would have to pull over on the side of the road and either get out of the car and walk around or take a nap because I couldn't <laughs> drive 20 minutes without crashing inside. Not not the crashing the car, but no, my sugar yeah. would my blood sugar levels sugar. would crash. And yeah. I never understood what it was. And nor did I recall my mom always saying, just go take a nap so I'd go take a nap here I was like a healthy teenager who needs to take five naps a day and I would wake up from a nap and what do we typically do when we wake up we eat yeah and so I would eat things would stabilize I'm like oh I guess that nap really helped and then I would go back into the same cycle again because of course I would eat sugar
0: yeah yeah I had hypoglycemia too it was I would crash and just have feelings of anxiety. That's what I was I would often feel just really anxious and and just same thing, really dizzy and not able to focus. And and I and I really think that that a lot of the anxiety and uh different issues that I, I see that there's so much more in younger,
1: mm-hmm. the younger
0: generation right now. And I really feel for them because that it's it's just so easy to eat bad. It's so easy. It's everywhere you go. You can just grab yeah. something that's unhealthy to go and it's the granola bars, for instance, are packed full of sugar. Oh, yes. Do they need to be? I don't know, but I can't even buy any granola bars that are packaged for my daughter anymore so which is why I do a lot of baking. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like the same there's so many different products to choose from and they're all kind of the same ingredients in yeah. them just in different colors.
1: I have no doubt that I would have developed diabetes and I think I was rapidly on the way of doing that as a child and I had a lot of symptoms of it and I'm, I'm certain that I would have if I continued eating that way. And of course we see diabetes, an epidemic of it throughout the westernized world right now. We really do just need to return to our, our roots, return to the local eating, return to our intuition
0: yeah, and return to just eating foods in their natural form and not processed in any way. And so what for you, Todd, was it TCM school that shifted or was it even?
1: Fortunately, after? I shifted before then. Before, Yeah, okay. I, yeah I, I would have fallen asleep on my way if I hadn't shifted. <laughs> uh, for me, I think probably the fact that I was always an athlete and that I started to recognize that I wasn't able to perform consistently because of these energy fluctuations. And so I really started to experiment. And I know when I got to university, I lived with one of my teammates who actually went on to become a chiropractic doctor and then graduated from our acupuncture program. And we experimented with food constantly. And But even still at this stage, I I recall even though we had a better sense of eating wholesome foods, we still had one foot in kind of the this quandary of where our bodies are craving things like sugar. And so <laughs> we had our almond butter and we had our maple syrup, two very natural products with very minimum processing but we would eat them <laughs> in massive quantities. <laughs> and so like, I don't even recall how much maple syrup we were ingesting on a daily basis, but it was an extraordinary amount. But so it was a very gradual process of kind of going mm. through this phase of realizing that the food really does matter, trying to bring healthier, more wholesome foods in, and then trying to wean myself off of the addictions. And that really took some time, and I recall when I first moved to Victoria, I lived near some cafes, and every evening, religiously, I felt the need to go and get a little, which wasn't even that little, a bar of some sort, a little baked granola bar or whatever they are. And that was my sugar need. And eventually, I had to reach a point where I was just like, no, that's done. I cannot have sugar and I really literally had to eliminate processed sugars. It's for hard. A it's a long not period easy. of time. It's yeah. not
0: easy and it's it's it is a very big addiction and and I tell my clients because if, when I first started practicing, I would throw so much at them <laughs> about you know, because it's like, oh, I know all this stuff. And I've, it had, even though it had taken me years to get to the point that I was, I thought, well, it'd be easy for them. If I just tell them they'll get there, but it's a process. It's a very step-by-step process. And it might just be that initially all you do sometimes now I'll just say, can you just add one cup per day of the Brasica family, the cruciferous mm-hmm. vegetables, and just do that and kind of work on your liver and balancing your hormones and, and just start with That because then maybe that will even help to reduce some sugar cravings. It'll fill your body with something healthy. So I I take it very easy with people now and some people don't want to change their diet (laughs) at all. They're not ready. And so it's okay. Now I just say, it's okay. When you're ready, you let me know and we can work on it. But children are a clean slate. And so even if your lifestyle isn't as healthy as you would like it to be, you can keep it cleaner for your children because they're not yet addicted to sugar. They do like sweet and they do need, when they go through growth spurts, they need that sweet flavor to help them to grow because sweet things are carrots and whole grains and the naturally sweet things like some of the beans and these things all in TCM, we say nourish the spleen chi. And again, by nourishing that spleen chi, it's they they need these extra calories to get through that growth spurt and so they are craving sweet and that's why kids will they they don't even taste sweet to the level that we do so you know a can of coke isn't as sweet to kids it's sweet to us, but they have a a higher tolerance. And so that's why it's so dangerous for children to get on the sugar wheel because they don't even notice how sweet food is. And it can be the sweetest icing on the planet. (laughs) And it it just tastes just right for them. So, so I think it's, if, if parents have knowledge, because it's easier at starting with children. And even if you give them a good foundation up until, they can make their own choices and they might make some bad choices for a while but with the solid foundation the research has shown that they will make better choices even as adults so it's the one thing that parents can can do is just offer these healthy healthy food choices and and really it's hard to avoid processed food I still have some in the house here and there but we we eat very little of it hmm
1: yeah, and there are healthier choices when it comes to the processed foods too, so.
0: There's some better options, yes.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for creating this book and this tool for practitioners to help guide parents and children when it comes to eating because, yeah, as we've we've certainly indicated here, it is so important, if not the bedrock of our health moving forward.
0: It really is, yes. And, and so, yeah, my hope is just for, for us to start talking about it more and mm-hmm. even as practitioners we have a large audience with our clients and most of our clients have children and so we can we can talk about it when we're in treatment with them and and yeah and hopefully just spread the word slowly but surely
1: yeah and I presume since you got some copies of the book on your doorstep that they're now available they're not that... yet available no the okay. release
0: really is well, it might be by the time this podcast comes out, but right. June 21st okay. is the release date. And and then I, they'll definitely be available from UBC Press. They're currently on ca and probably okay. not UK. Yeah, they're, they're on Amazon for pre-sale.
1: Okay. And I will do what I can do to get them in our bookstore at Pacific Rim College. So by the time oh, this does you. come out, we might have them, but. Certainly, uh, as soon as they become available, I'll get some copies in for us. Oh,
0: I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Todd.
1: Of course. Thank you for taking the time to do this today and, again, for writing such a a helpful and important book. Where can people learn more about you and potentially connect with you to uh, get treatments and bring their kids to see you?
0: Uh, Well, I, I practice right now at Renew Health in Victoria, B.C., it is located in the Royal Oak Shopping Center. That's where my practice is based. And my website is sandrarobertson.ca. And I have an Instagram with the same name, sandrarobertson.ca. And so, yeah, so that's where you can email me, ask me questions. and 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 yes, if your children need help with anything, related to, to dietary therapy or just in general with the symptoms that they're having, I'm here to help.
1: Great. Well, thank you. And I'll put all of those links in the show notes for listeners. Thank you again for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate it. It's been amazing. My I love pleasure. your podcast. It's it's wonderful.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, have a great day.
0: You too. Thanks. Bye bye, Todd.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Sandra Robertson. For more about Sandra, her clinical practice, and her new book, please visit nourishinglifemedicine.com. If you are interested in studying Chinese medicine, the School of Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world renowned multi year programs, including world's first study options combining acupuncture with Western herbal medicine and holistic nutrition. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in Chinese medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at pacificrimcollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Check out our newest release, An Applied Facial Diagnosis, by renowned C.T. Holman, colleague of Lillian Bridges, mentioned in this episode. Purchase this course by July 2, 2021, And use the code FACE40 at checkout to receive 40% off your purchase. That's FACE40, F-A-C-E, 4-0. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you're using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, harvest your local feast and reap the rewards of nourishing life medicine.